Hey everyone, it's Anita and Jackie. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. So to start, you might have heard Anita say that it's just her and me this week. I just want to note that going forward, it's going to be the two of us co-hosting the podcast as our other co-host Lucas has left TechCrunch to start a new journey. We will miss him, but we also wish him the best of luck and we're excited to bring this forward together. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, we hope you are not sick of us yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, speaking of sick, I am sick. So if I sound funny, that's why. But because I love you guys, I still jumped on the mic to record this with Anita, and we do not have an auto-tune budget, so you're just going to get my voice as is. <laughs> Jackie is the hero that we all don't deserve. But no, we, we got lots of news for you this week. And last week, we were actually recording live from TechCrunch Disrupt. It was a great time, but I think that's probably where Jackie might have gotten sick. And you know, I, yeah. I have a little sniffly nose myself. But Worth with it. that said, let's get into it. Um <laughs> The big news that actually occurred in the past couple of days was a big announcement from Apple where they were clarifying some of their developer rules. And it has some big implications for crypto and for NFTs specifically. So basically, until this point, Apple had sort of ignored, you know, officially issuing any guidance for crypto related apps on the iOS app store. But they finally clarified what they're going to do. And they are saying apps are allowed to list, mint, transfer, and let users view NFTs that they own. But as is the case with all purchases through the iOS app store, they're going to take a 30% fee for any NFT purchases. So people can transact like you could theoretically go on someone's app and buy an NFT, but Apple is going to get 30% of that. So that's a huge disincentive for crypto exchanges to actually launch iOS apps. You know, basically like if OpenSea, for example, wanted to allow people to transact and buy and sell and trade NFTs on their app, they would have to eat the cost and it would eat into their profits or they would have to raise the prices just for mobile transactions. So Apple has definitely not made things easy for crypto. I mean, they've been pretty difficult in this realm. And another one of the rules that they also announced was that for any apps that are on the iOS app store, they can't use any token gated features. So if any companies have like ownership perks, if you own a certain NFT, you can't translate those perks onto your Apple mobile app. Yeah, I think this is super interesting. And like, even last week during Disrupt, you were on stage with Anatoly Yakovenko, the co-founder of Solana. And he said that this is why Web3 kind of has this upper hand right now with the, I mean, Solana's launching the Solana phone. It's called Saga, which is Web3 oriented. So maybe like, it's a little bit of a shill. But at the same time, it's also true because neither Google nor Apple really want to take on Web3 or NFTs because true NFT digital ownership disrupts their business models, as you mentioned. He said on stage, and I wrote down this quote, is when you're the content creator and you have an app on the iOS store, you can take the 30% fee and eat it and give it to Apple. But Magic Eden can't sell a $10,000 NFT for $13,000 on the iOS app. They can't tack on tax, nor can they eat it because that'll destroy profits. Similar to what you just said before, Anita, this is something where it's like, it's not going to be like a push and pull situation. It's just going to be a non-existing situation for NFT platforms and creators because that 30% is a massive markup. And that's an arbitrage that nobody is really going to buy at. And so the opportunity... Yeah, it's a huge fee. Yeah. I mean, well, and not only that, like the one thing that reminded me of what you were saying was that with Magic Eden, I mean, I'm pretty sure Apple for any transaction on their platform has a dollar amount limit. Mm -hmm. So for super expensive NFTs, it's not even like you could buy them on mobile. Like, I think it's a couple of hundred dollars. I don't, 
Yeah, no, quoting that off the top of my head. (laughs) It's definitely crazy. I think the opportunities for the NFT space are still within the hands of Web3, which is kind of fun until like if and when Apple and Google get into the game. I know this is more about Apple, but, you know, they are the major players and they have the app stores and everything right now. And, you know, Apple is one of the most influential companies in the tech space today. There's like no arguing that. Majority of people have iPhones, if not Androids. I have an iPhone. I love my iPhone. I hate my iPhone. But, you know, if they implemented more Web3 friendly technologies, I'm sure we'd be, we would see greater adoption here. Yeah, well, here's here's the thing, right? Like, that's a, an optimistic view for Web3. And I think that that's fair. And that's definitely what um, Anatoly was saying on stage with the Solana phone, you know, that there might be opportunities for like Web3 native players to come in and provide mobile solutions. But in my opinion, at the end of the day, right now, most of the wealthy people in the world who would buy NFTs and who would potentially purchase them are iPhone owners. And Mm -hmm. everything happens on mobile these days. Like I actually, until I started following this story, to be totally honest, didn't even realize that for every single in-app purchase, this applies. So like when I'm, you know, in my bed at night doing this bad habit that I have of like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, like not even like I was going to say like online shopping. OK, yeah. you know, I shop. I have like the Target app. I love Target. Mm-hmm. I, I like their clothes. But, you know, like every time I purchase something on the Target app, like Apple is getting 30 percent of that. Like that that blew my mind. That is actually crazy. Yeah, right. My light pushback here is that I just think Apple knows what they're doing. And at the end of the day, if crypto companies really want to get into this game of like mass adoption, I think some of them are going to have to cave to Apple's rules and just you know, if they want people to buy NFTs and they want this to become more of a thing, like they're going to have to launch their apps. They're going to have to suck it up and either, you know, pay the fees or raise prices or whatever it is. But I think people really care about convenience and ease of use. And I can totally see a situation where some of the bigger NFT exchanges decide to open apps and just eat the cost. It could be that even like big NFT marketplaces like OpenSea or Magic Eden do get into the Apple game down the line with this 30% tax. But whether or not the creators will then put their NFTs on Apple for that 30% cut or increase is up to them. Like it could be by a case-by-case basis. I think the 30% tax will hurt their ability to get ahead in the Web3 game. But maybe this isn't the game they want to play right now. And maybe they really don't care. Like we said, like they're massive They're, they're flexing. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't need it at the moment. And our coworker who uh, covered the news, Yvonne, wrote over the last few years, Apple had to reduce its app store fees and allow third-party payments for in-app purchases in many regions across the world. So, you know, there is a possibility that maybe they will budge a little. Yeah. I mean, just to put this all in perspective, like the OpenSea fee right now to purchase an NFT just on the platform itself is around like 2.5%. So the 30%, even if it were to come down a little bit, (laughs) is still pretty ridiculously high. And I think it's either a sign that like Apple is either super confident that it can capture crypto and NFT users regardless of its rules, or it doesn't give a fuck. And it might be the latter because another thing that they announced is that they're going to be basically enforcing, like they're cracking down on crypto exchanges and they're now mandating all of them that are listed on the App Store to have the appropriate licensing and permissions in the regions they operate in. So Apple is essentially saying like, we are now going to act as an enforcer of different countries' laws mm-hmm. on our app store. Yeah. And so it's just it's just tough. Like Apple is just kind of telling the crypto industry, like, sorry, like these are our rules and they're not making any concessions. <laughs> it's Apple's world <laughs> and apparently we are just living in it. Uh, but I mean, like you said, even if they lower the tax, 
I can't imagine that the lower to 20%, 10%, that's still way too much. It would have to match what we're seeing currently around OpenSea or Magic Eden levels. But personally, I find it hard that they would even give up that considerable chunk of change they're raking in right now. So I guess we're going to have to see there. Yeah. Well, speaking of large tech companies, Reddit is also really big in the NFT game. And that's our second piece of news. At Disrupt, during a panel, we had Reddit chief product officer Polly Bot on stage, and he revealed that over 3 million Redditors have used Reddit's Vault blockchain wallet, and they've created over 3 million crypto wallets to date. This is absolutely wild because that's a lot of success. Like, Reddit just launched this NFT wallet offering earlier this summer, I believe in June. And at this point, sales volumes have now exceeded $6.7 million, according to Dune. And it's kind of hard to compare these numbers, like what we're seeing at Reddit versus other platforms. But Dune also estimated that OpenSea was hosting around 1 million active wallets as of January. And so if Reddit is now hosting 3 million, like that's pretty good. OpenSea is the largest NFT exchange in the game right now. And on MetaMask, apparently, they were serving around 30 million users specifically for active wallets as of March. So to have 3 million on Reddit opening unique NFT wallets on the Reddit platform after just a few months of launching this offering is pretty impressive. And another thing that they're doing in the space that Reddit is doing is they allow for like NFT avatars, and those are minted on the Polygon blockchain. And what's really interesting is that volumes on Polygon like as a whole have been surging this week specifically because so many people are interested in buying these NFT avatars for their Reddit accounts. Yeah, a majority of these Reddit wallets, about like two and a half million of them were created to purchase NFTs for profile picture like projects. The other half million, I'm not so sure. But Reddit, you know, partnered with Polygon and about 30 artists to release around 40,000 NFTs a few months ago. And they're all sold out currently. And kind of speaking to your point there, one of the special parts about this in the collaboration with Polygon is that it was low fees, it was low price points, you know, there aren't those high gas fees. And there's no clear cut answer as to why Reddit did so well. But I think that alongside possibly the lack of jargon and the accessible mainstream point really helped Reddit's case. You know, Reddit seems well, to... Well, I was going to yeah. ask, yeah. like, what were the price points for these NFTs? I feel like you had mentioned that to me earlier, but it, they're not crazy expensive, right? Yeah, they were like $10 to like $100. I don't know what their new floor prices are now, but I mean, that's a pretty decent entry point for someone who wants to buy an NFT or just even see what it's all about. You know, $10 is you know, a coffee at some places in New York City. So it's not too bad. I guess the million dollar question here is like, why has Reddit succeeded on this front? I know we talked a little bit before about the gas fees and perhaps being a cheap option for people wanting to look into the space. But also avoiding crypto lingo is something that I think really helps. According to the block, research analyst Thomas Bialik said that Reddit has, quote, seemed to have paved the way for mainstream adoption. Yeah, they've been really smart about their marketing here. I mean, in just like pushing this offering, they've basically avoided using the word NFT when they're describing any of these avatars and they're just calling them like profile pictures. Yeah, and I don't think it's to like trick people at all. I just think it's really an accessible way to market crypto assets. And, you know, I think it's so important when we talk about crypto in a mainstream way that we don't use words that people who aren't in this industry wouldn't understand, you know, like mint versus buy. Minting is such a complicated (laughs) way to say, just buy this. And I know, obviously, the mint is the first one. And then after that, you could buy later on. But does everyone outside of the ecosystem need to know that? No, I don't think they do. Or like you said, fundamentally the same thing. Yeah. Or like, 
even calling it like a digital asset or a digital image, just call it a freaking image. You know, it's like, it's an yeah, image. Like it's on the computer. We get it. Yeah. And I, of course, there should be a level of crypto diction for those who want it. And I'm not saying we should fully erase like crypto lingo just so we could get mass audience approval or whatever. But if you want to bring on mainstream adoption, do it in simple terms. There are so many things in the crypto world that are still complicated to me, and I cover this space every single day. And if a dev or a founder could just explain it to me in simpler terms, it would make it that much easier to write about it. So I can imagine people who want to buy these digital collectibles or whatever Reddit marketed them as wanted it in an accessible way that they didn't even really realize that it was like an NFT. Right. Yeah, this is this is really <laughs> smart of Reddit because it's exactly that strategy that a lot of people talk about of like creating crypto products that people can use and enjoy using, but they don't really know that they're using crypto or they don't think about the fact that the product is blockchain based. Yeah. And I think that's really savvy of them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that other companies are going to see the same success in entering the NFT space. It's a really tricky space and it's honestly pretty impressive that Reddit has managed to see these sorts of numbers after just a few months. But we'll also have to see if that lasts, Yeah, you know, especially with like NFT trading volumes across the board sort of declining and the whole sector is sort of in flux at this point. Yeah. And I think this could serve as guidance for others, like you mentioned, Anita, looking to gain mass adoption or sell Web3 assets to move more Web2 companies into the space. But there's no like perfect framework for this. And I think honestly, just making it more accessible will in the end make it more possible for success. But I think, you know, it's up for interpretation and Reddit's simple approach might be a perfect example of ways to make things easier for mass adoption, but it might also be like a a one-hit wonder. Enough about NFTs. I'm getting sick of it. I'm going to shift gears (laughs) a little bit and move to some government talk. Everyone's favorite stuff. Read my mind, Jackie. (laughs) I know you've been thinking about this all day, Anita, but basically... I want to get into the UK government. Uh, After a short 45-day stint in the office, Liz Truce resigned as the UK's prime minister, and Rishi Sunak was chosen as the next prime minister. So why does this matter for crypto news, you might be asking, right? Well, I've been living for the memes, (laughs) so it's been taking up more of my headspace on Twitter, but... I'm sure it matters for other reasons. Yeah, it's it's definitely all over my timeline. But when uh, Rishi was the financial minister under the former prime minister, Boris Johnson, so prior to truce, you know, we had a few this year, he shared that he wanted to make the country into a, quote, crypto hub. And this was back in April in a report from the UK Gov. And that's when he said it at the time. But basically, Rishi recognizes stablecoins as a valid form of payment, He sees stablecoins as a bigger plan to make Britain a global hub for crypto assets, as I mentioned before, for tech and investments. And at the time, Rishi said, it's my ambition to make the UK a global hub for crypto asset technology and added that by regulating the industry effectively, it could give businesses the confidence to invest long term in the UK, which basically means he wants to be at the forefront of this, quote unquote, crypto revolution. He wants to be a crypto capital. And, you know, even though this plan was brought forth in April, there's some significance to it today. Earlier this week, the House of Parliament voted in favor of adding crypto to the scope of activities regulated through its financial services and markets bill, which is already looking to extend its rules and stablecoins. 
The financial services and city minister, Andrew Griffith, said that the substance here is to treat crypto like other forms of financial assets and to not prefer them, but put them in the scope of regulation for the first time. So the U.S. can honestly look to the U.K. for clarity on how to deal with stable coins because we're still being a little bit slow in the U.S. here on rolling out regulation in the States. But if the U.K. is looking into it, then maybe we can follow their lead or take ideas from them. I don't know. What do you think? It's pretty wild that the U.K. has essentially brought someone to power in their top seat who is friendly to crypto. I mean, I don't want to say friendly to crypto necessarily, but I guess if you know, Rishi really wanted to make the UK a crypto hub, I guess Mm -hmm. one could infer that. But it also does kind of give me a little pause and a little bit of skepticism because I know when Gary Gensler was appointed as SEC chair, people were pretty excited that he would understand crypto and somehow therefore be more friendly to it. He taught, I think, a class at MIT about the blockchain. So people were getting all hype. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, Gensler is going to be, you know, for us. Like people in the Web3 community thought that. And that didn't end up really being the case. So I wonder whether... Rishi Sunak's views will actually translate now that he's PM or if things are going to change and he's going to want to crack down a little bit more. Yeah, that's also a really good point, Anita. I was thinking the same thing because I know when Gary was first put into office, that was the sentiment too. And he did teach a class on like blockchain technology and crypto and he was like pretty heavily involved in it. But we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. So there's a very strong chance that Rishi's hand could be pushed one way or another, even if he has quote unquote, positive sentiments towards crypto. And that's like definitely what the media has been reporting in the past few weeks. And Truce's government has previously nodded a commitment to Rishi's plans. But given the new leadership of Rishi being at the top of the totem pole, you know, there's maybe potential for things to actually be passed at a more efficient pace than before, given his stance in that he is really the voice and the face of the UK, aside from the royal family, which we won't talk about. (laughs) Well, and the other aspect of this, I think, too, is just seeing how this plays out across different parts of crypto, like stable coins being recognized as a valid form of payment is huge because in the US, I mean, there's always this thought of like, I don't think the US is going to launch a central bank digital currency anytime soon. But that's considered to be like the competitor to, let's say, a private stable coin, which is kind of interesting. And so maybe stable coins in the UK might private stable coins might be more accepted that are backed by pounds by the UK currency. But I'm wondering, you know, about Rishi Sunak's views on other parts of the crypto sector. Like, what does this mean for NFTs? Or what does this mean for like, which cryptocurrencies are considered to be securities? Like, I'm not super familiar with the intricacies of British law, to be quite honest. But it'll be interesting to see like whether he ends up shifting his stance, because I think a lot of people, once they get elected to office, uh, things mm-hmm. change a little bit. Yeah, they, they could become a little bit of a puppet, perhaps. I don't know. I've never been a politician. Don't, don't do us dirty <laughs> like that, Rishi. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. But, I'm uh, not it's, in- it's actually interesting you brought up NFTs, because in the report from April, at the time, the country's coin producer, the Royal Mint, which is funny because Mint, uh, was also given the responsibility to create an NFT collection which was supposed to launch by summertime, but, you know, it's October now and it hasn't launched. So even though that was supposed to happen, there's still these bigger plans to touch different corners of the crypto market beyond stable coins or just regulating the industry. Um, And I think it's interesting and I'm really excited to see what comes of this, if anything. Yeah, there's been so much drama with the UK government lately. I I feel like maybe that the Royal Mint thing ended up going down on their (laughs) list of priorities. priorities, For sure. Definitely. It's unclear, though, how the UK Conservative Party, which is what Rishi is a part of, 
and all the other governing bodies will respond to his stance. And once he grows into the role, we'll see how this plays out. But hopefully it'll last longer than uh, 45 days. <laughs> so this week has gotten off to a pretty wild start, just coming off of Disrupt last week, which was really exciting. We had some great conversations on stage. But for me personally, I'm sort of shifting my focus to our crypto event on November 17th in Miami, where I'm going to be interviewing the CEO and founder of OpenSea, Devin Finzer. So NFTs have been on my mind. It's not a subsector of crypto that I have historically spent most of my time thinking about, but I think it's a really interesting market that is at this inflection point, you know, and we'll have to see whether slowdowns are going to really affect NFTs or if demand is going to stay strong. So that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm talking to my sources and working on some stuff about NFTs. Love that, Anita. And for me, I am interviewing Robbie Ferguson. He's the co-founder of Immutable. And I'm looking into Web3 gaming a bit further and how the space is evolving long term. We'll be back every week with the top news on the crypto ecosystem. Catch us on Tuesdays for interviews with experts in the Web3 space. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform, and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and the stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Anita Ramaswamy, along with my co-host, Jacqueline Melanick. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni, and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets, with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>